You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this morning. We do thank you for uh, your gracious word to us that we are indeed uh, loved and um, we're accepted in you, not because of our merits, but because of your mercies. Be with us now as we look to your word, Lord, particularly uh, this Sermon on the Mount, and that you have a word for the practicality of what it means to, to have faith in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, to recap, um, we've this is week three in a five-week series in which you'll hear all there has ever uh, to be said on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'm teasing. There's no a five-week class on the Sermon on the Mount is just simply, simply not enough. And so to give you um, sort of a bird's eye view of what we've done the last two weeks, uh, we've gotten all the way through, well, truthfully, verse 20 of chapter 5. So 20 verses in three weeks. I glanced over and talked a little bit about the portion we read at 9 o'clock today, if you were in worship, if you go to the 11 o'clock, uh, you might hear, you'll hear it as well, um, where Jesus talks about um, anger and lust and divorce, oaths, retaliation, and what it means to love your enemies. Um, this is an example, though, of where I don't have time to talk about all of those with any kind of substance. So I don't mean to skip over those. Uh, hopefully in another forum we might consider those. Although I did touch briefly in the sermon this morning. But I really want to look today, um, practically speaking, um, to the Lord's Prayer, which is familiar territory, I know, for, for most of us. Uh, but I want to look at it closely in chapter 6. Uh, so forgive me, I don't have handouts for you this morning. But most of you might have a Bible on your phone or... Uh, God forbid we actually bring an actual physical Bible <laughs> to Sunday school. But if you don't, just listen along. And again, it's familiar territory. It's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so hopefully uh, hopefully you'll do okay without something in front of you. So I'll begin in verse 5. The ESV heading here kind of opens with, uh, with this. Verse 5 and when you, of chapter 6. excuse me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, surrounding this portion uh, on prayer, uh, as a discussion on giving to the needy, again, the practice of faith, what we do as believers, and then following it is um, fasting. Uh, we're probably not going to talk too much about fasting this, this morning. Um, I know fasting's all the rage, though, in diet circles. Uh, intermittent fasting is kind of the, the latest thing. Uh, some of us do that. Some of us skip breakfast. I'm looking at Tommy. Uh, we, we try that from time to time. And uh, despite that, I still eat too much in the evening. But uh, fasting, many of us don't really take on as a spiritual discipline, and none of what I just mentioned that Tommy and I may or may not be doing uh, is spiritual, at least not for me. Um, 
but there is a there is a, a sense in which uh, I think in the modern world we've missed out some of these on some of these ancient uh, practices, and fasting just takes you to the heart of your need when you're fasting, whether it be from food, uh, or drink, or technology. Uh, it should be a continual reminder of of what actually supplies your needs, what gives you this daily bread that we just talked about. Who gives you this daily bread? And so Lent is around the corner. I might encourage you again, not simply fasting from food, but you might consider that um, practice. That's not something I've really taken on over the years, but I'm tempted this year. That's not the right word. Um, uh, <laughs> encouraged. I'm encouraged this year to perhaps consider uh, a Lenten discipline. <clears throat> but in any case, the Lord's uh, Prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, a simple, short prayer that we can all rattle off pretty quickly, uh, most of us at least. I remember I wasn't really raised much in church early, early on. Um, sorry, Mom. I, every time I say that, I feel like I'm throwing you under the bus. Um, <laughs> But, uh, well, isn't that a great, and I won't weigh in on what she just said, but that is true. We all are in the Lord's hands. And as parents, we do our best. Um, we do, we really do. We should. Uh, we ought. I hate using shoulds and oughts, but that's our hope. Uh, but ultimately, we're, we're in God's hands. Um, and he does use faithful parenting, but at the same time, um, he, can, he can make a way where there is no way. The Lord's Prayer, uh, I remember learning the Lord's Prayer on the football field um, every after every practice and before every game and after every game, uh, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And for the first couple of years, I had no idea what anyone was saying. And I kind of mumbled along, oh, our Father, just to look like I knew what I was doing. But over time, uh, it took root, uh, and I did learn it. My son's going through that right now, and it's the cutest thing, hearing him say words. He has no idea what they mean. Like the word trespass, I mean, what's a trespass? Um, Paige, what are some other ones he rattles on? He just, he, he blends words together. Temptation is a funny word. It comes out different every single time. Uh, it's cute. But again, over time, that's sort of a liturgy for a child. They, they start picking up what it means to be a Christian, uh, even through repetitive prayer. I want to say a word on that. Uh, Jesus says, don't heap on empty phrases and repeat them as the Gentiles do. I think that is separate than, it's often been equated, that repeating the Lord's Prayer is breaking that command. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has given us a formula and since it's his words, they're holy words, uh, we repeat them uh, in every kind of public worship setting that we have here at the Advent, both morning prayer um, and communion and even song and, and all the rest. Um, but I don't think we're using that prayer as a way to, to convince God he should hear us. It's more prayer shaping us in, in that fashion. Uh, but God hears the prayer, certainly. Looking at the prayer itself, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You notice there, our Father, He's grafted us in. It's, it's Jesus' Father. He's the Son, but we're grafted in. I mean, right there, it's a communal effort. Uh, Jesus has brought us in. We're by no means equal with Jesus, um, but He's brought us in, and He's called us brothers and, and friends, as He says in John's Gospel. And so we, too, can approach God as our Heavenly Father, not by right, not by pedigree, uh, but by sheer grace. Now, prayer is intensely personal and relational. When you're praying to God, uh, you're not praying to a being uh, that's just static out somewhere uh, in the heavens, but you're praying to a person, uh, a, a personal God. Often we think of prayer by default as sort of a, a, a vending machine. You may have heard this before, but uh, we, we pray our prayers and we expect this, this vending machine to kind of dole out what we deserve. Now, what's the problem with that kind of belief? Now, most of us wouldn't say we believe that, but I think at default, we kind of think, well, if I put my dollar in, my prayers, then I, I deserve a Coca-Cola, right? We, 
I think by default, humanity thinks that way. But again, Jesus is, is, is cutting that out. He's saying, look, this, it's not a vending machine. It's a relationship. We're talking to our, our Father, our God who is our Heavenly Father. Why is the uh, vending machine uh, version of prayer, why is that problematic? Well, first and foremost, it's a belief that we bring something to the table. It's a belief that uh, I've got money and God will respect me and uh, I'll earn his, uh, his gifts if I just put it in. Well, that's, that's a problem. We can all admit as Protestant Christians, that's, that's trouble, and Catholic Christians for that matter. What's also the problem with it though, what happens when you put your dollar in and nothing comes out? What do you do to a vending machine when that happens? Yeah, your first instinct is to maybe, maybe you hit the button again and think, oh, it didn't, it didn't feel the button push. That's my first instinct. Okay, A2. Uh, okay, A2's not working. Okay, I'll try C3. Maybe A2's out. And then you realize, no, it's not, not the buttons, it's the machine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it. I'm going to hit it. And then you might kick it. And then be careful. Uh, you shake it. Be, be really careful. How many people die a year from shaking? It's like six people a year <laughs> internationally, maybe more. In any case, we shake it. And then when all of that's happened, it's stolen my money, it's taken my, you know, taken my efforts, and it kicks nothing out. What do I do eventually? Do I hang around much longer? Eventually, you shake your, your, your boots and you walk away. Um, that is how prayer often is presented, though, that if, if you're just a good person, you bring your dollar and you say the right prayers, and you go to church every Sunday, you fill out a pledge card, you, know, you lead a small group, yada, yada, yada. I'm bringing my dollar, and you believe that. And then, so when God doesn't bless you, eventually you walk away. That's the problem with that view of God, um, that he's not a relational father, but instead he owes me one. I think we can all understand the perils of that. And again, by default, uh, in my sinful, broken nature, um, whether I want to admit it or not, I believe in that sort of relationship. I have to be taught otherwise, and Jesus here is teaching us otherwise. It's our Heavenly Father. And elsewhere, uh, both in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout uh, Jesus' own uh, other teachings, you know, he tells us, how, if this is your Heavenly Father, you know, earthly fathers love their children, how much more so, how much more so does your Heavenly Father love you? Um, I want to say a brief word here about, and this is um, not meant to be controversial, uh, but, but gender here. I know some people get hung up, you know, God's not male, and that's true. God certainly is not male, uh, but this is the language Jesus has given us. There's a great feminist theologian, uh, Sarah Coakley. I use that kind of, she, I don't think she would call herself a feminist theologian. She's a Christian theologian uh, who is also a feminist. But she, she says the same thing. She says, look, it's not right for us to change the prayer to mother or in general, you know, uh, oh, genderless God. But she says as a feminist, you know, if I, if I manipulate the language and change it to what I want to do, then actually I'm taking part in that patriarchal sin, which is uh, the will to power and to force my will on others. Again, I know that's a little controversial, but she says, I pray the prayer. As uncomfortable as it makes me to think in those terms, I pray the prayer anyways. It's Jesus' words and I've inherited them. I have not the right to change them. I think that's an important point. In our liturgy, we, we say, uh, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not uh, blessed be God, Creator, uh, Redeemer, Sanctifier, as you've heard uh, elsewhere. Um, the Trinity is, is language that you and I, we cannot amend. We cannot amend it. That's, that's God's given name. So uh, I did want to say a brief word on that. Hallowed be your name. From the very start, uh, we're praying to God. We're establishing, He's established this relationship with us, this Heavenly Father who cares for us. Uh, but holy is His name. Hallowed, uh, holy, 
um, sanctified, um, far above our human um, imperfections. God is perfect, and we acknowledge that in our prayer. It's important to acknowledge that, not because God uh, needs us to say that. It's not God you know, tapping his foot, when are they going to recognize how awesome I am? But again, it shapes us. We are praying to this one that we are not worthy to approach, and yet he makes himself approachable. So the, the prayer kicks off in that way. Now again, I'm not saying as a formula, every prayer that you pray has to start with that, but I think it is a teaching point to say, this is the one to whom you pray. Not the vending machine, not the angry one who's wagging his finger, uh, but this gracious Heavenly Father uh, who indeed does, I don't mean this negatively, condescend to hear our prayer. Actually, condescend, as the reformers use it, was actually a positive term. God drawing close, uh, God descending, if you will. Is that not the incarnation, God descending? All right, next, uh, the next uh, line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, a recognition that God is up to something way bigger than my nine to five. God is up to something way bigger than my sphere of influence. God is way bigger than my city, my state, my country. Uh, his kingdom is operative, whether we like it or not, whether we recognize it or not. And so this prayer, again, um, it names the truth. It teaches us God is up to something way bigger. And yet, and yet, I think he's still interested down to the micro detail. Uh, he, he counts the hairs on our head. He knows us so well. He knows us in the womb. He knows us long before we open our lips. So even though there's a cosmic scale of what God is doing, uh, we understand and hold in the same breath a God who is intimately involved in every facet of our lives. I was talking to some friends um, who go to a different church uh, here in Birmingham, and they help uh, lead a small group. And they said, you know, sometimes we take up prayer requests and it gets kind of too in the weeds, you know. People are saying, oh, if you would just pray for our lake house renovation, that would be really great. <laughs> and Paige brought up a good point, my, my wife. She said, you know, that stuff does get old and you know, you kind of wish we could get to the meat of what really matters. But she said, that is them revealing what they really care about. They're, they're anxious. People are stressed out. And while um, the details of your lake house deck may or may not be uh, cosmically important, your anxiety, your spiritual state uh, is what that person is, is revealing. And so, you know, we all belong to groups like that. And sometimes we give me a break. Like, why, why are we praying for this? We're praying for that person. We're praying for their relationship with God. We're praying for their anxiety, our anxiety. Um, and so, yes, cosmic is God's work, and yet cosmic includes everything, down to the fine details. I think that's important to, to acknowledge. I know I'm speeding through. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Um, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? What is daily bread? Necessities. Yeah, necessities. Necessities, things we need. I mean, food is undoubtedly involved in that. What else? Is there anything else? Perhaps? His word. His word, totally. Yeah, man uh, does not live on bread alone, but uh, hangs on to every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What else? I'm stealing from my former training, but uh, a confident portion of the good things of this life and that we enjoy his blessings with them. Say that all again. Say it one more time for everybody. <clears throat> that we would receive a confident portion of the good things of this life and that we would enjoy his blessings in it. Yeah. I think enjoyment, uh, yeah, sometimes I think in base level of simply necessity, but I think a need of humanity is to, to have joy. 
and God uh, certainly does desire us to enjoy. And this is where I think the Reformed Westminster tradition even gets it right. Uh, the the I, Marshall, you may know the words, but it's uh, to know God and to enjoy Him forever, I think is the, the opening article of, of the Westminster Confession. I think that's a need, yeah, to know God and to enjoy the gifts He's given us. I think that daily bread is covered in that. Um, I can't help but as a, as a minister, when I hear daily bread, particularly in the context of Holy Communion, um, of course to think of communion itself, but what does that point to? What does communion point to? Jesus Himself, He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And so when we pray this, I can't help but <laughs> Christologically think uh, our daily bread is, is Christ himself, God himself, who gives himself for us. So I think all of this is included. I see a hand, nope, you're just scratching, very good. Uh, I, very well <laughs> attuned to people's uh, hand movements. Um, yeah, Christ himself, I mean, he, he is our every need. And this is to Meg's point, um, his word, um, and word is, uh, is God. Um, is Jesus. He is the Word of God. So He's our daily bread. Occasionally, it's kind of kitschy. I do it from time to time. I don't do it every time I celebrate, but sometimes when we pray this, I'll grab the, I'll grab the bread when we say, give us this day our daily bread at the table. You may see me do that, you may not, uh, and you can, you can laugh at me for how dorky that looks, but uh, it means something. You know, I think uh, in the context of Holy Communion, we are recognizing we are more than uh, mouths that have empty bellies to be fed, uh, but we, we are spiritual beings and every need under heaven, uh, uh, God meets our needs in himself. <clears throat> Any other thoughts on that slide, daily bread? I'm sure there's a lot more, but we will forge ahead. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, of course, um, this is so uh, paramount. This, this in some ways falls under daily bread, right? Being forgiven is a need. It's a need um, that we have. But coterminous with it is, I would say, even the need to forgive others. Uh, it doesn't say, uh, forgive us if we forgive others. It says, as we forgive. It's an assumption that we will. It's an assumption that as forgiven beings, uh, we're filled up with God's grace, and we can't help but overflow that into the lives of others. Um, now, do we do it 100% of the time? No, but we pray that it would be so. We pray, and this prayer washes over us every, every Sunday at least as we're here, but throughout the week as we pray it and consider it. Uh, as the more and more and more and more of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness we receive, um, I, I think it's, it's a multiplier effect in the lives of Christians. Um, we, can't help, we can't help but do this. It's who we are. We're forgiven and we can't help but forgive others. Again, easier said than done, right? How, how, how good are we at this? I mean, admittedly, I'm the chief offender, perhaps. I love to hold a grudge. I love to always you know, keep a record of right and wrongs. Love's not supposed to do that, and yet I do it. Um, so when I pray this prayer, I mean, it's convicting. Uh, it's convicting. But it shouldn't, lead me, um, it shouldn't lead me to despair, but it should lead me to the cross, not to beat myself up, but to say, God has dealt with this. And as I look upon the cross and I consider the words of Jesus, again, it changes my heart uh, over time. Stephen. I was, was going to say that as, to me, it, it, it's almost like we can't really accept God's forgiveness unless we, we have a, 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 some sort of forgiveness in our hearts to other, other people. Um, so that's yeah. kind of the, it's not, it's not conditional, that's, it's descriptive. It's not, and we raised that distinction a few weeks ago, descriptive versus prescriptive. 
Um, you're right. So true faith, um, and I don't like using that word often because we start asking who has true faith. We go down that Puritan uh, rabbit trail. Um, but you're right. If we have not been forgiving others, I don't think true faith has actually taken root in us. And we haven't tasted what forgiveness actually is. Um, so again, it's not a condition. It's not saying, if you forgive, then I'll forgive you. It's, you hadn't even felt my forgiveness until you're able to say the words, I'm sorry, I forgive you, th these kind of things. Anybody tracking with that? Do you all feel that in your own lives? You often hear that it's sort of a uh, platitude, um, you know, uh, forgive others. It's more for you than it is for them. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, as we harbor anger and resentment and this feeling of we need to keep score, it destroys our soul. I mean, it, it eats us up from the inside. So I do think it's a two-way street. Um, God has built us in this way. He's built us to be communal and relational. And um, as we are broken relationally and communally, uh, we have a hard time on a vertical plane receiving God's grace. I, that's my prayer for our church culture is that on a horizontal level, uh, what we pray and believe vertically between us and God, that it would take root in our congregation and in the community. Uh, that it wouldn't simply be an you know, um, compartmentalized. Uh, this is the problem of so many Christian churches and Christians in general were compartmentalized. What we say on Sundays is not necessarily how we feel or think or act uh, the other days of the week. So this prayer is a prayer against compartmentalization. It's a prayer that integrated we shall be, forgiven by God and we forgive others. Any other thoughts on, on forgiveness or this part of the prayer? Tommy. What you're saying with the vending machine and like the vending machine being in our death, mm. we put the money in, we put the prayer in, God, you know, approaching it from that legalistic <coughs> angle, you know, we put God in our death because like, okay, now you owe us something. Um, so it's just a, a complete <coughs> paradigm change that, okay, he doesn't owe us anything and we're not doing it to try and check off a box. Uh, and, and I mean, he's, he's technically the Yeah, that's right. He's already forgiven us. And then so it has to take root at some point. I think there is an application of that forgiveness. That's why when I'm ordained or when any clergy, we say um, that we would, uh, we would preach the word, preach the gospel, and duly administer the sacraments. And those are two ways in which when we preach, that's an application of forgiveness. But also when we baptize, when we, when we uh, celebrate communion, that's an application. We're applying that, that forgiveness that's already operative, it's already been done, it is finished on the cross, but people need it in their own lives. They need it applied to them. You said something else with, with regards to uh, the debts. Oh, oh, it's already happened, and he's not waiting for us. You know, God's not in, up in heaven saying, when will they finally come to me? He did the work. Uh, he chose to be, first of all, he chose to speak long, long before we opened our mouths, but more so, even more so, he came, uh, he came to earth uh, to forgive us our sins and to assure us of that on the cross and in the resurrection. And the great parable of this is the prodigal son. We often think the son repented and that's why the father forgave him. But no, as you read the text, the father already made up his mind and he interrupts the son. The son comes with this prefab speech, you know, I've sinned against you, please make me your servant. And the father says, ah, I won't hear any more of it. And he wraps his arms around him. He doesn't even let him finish his sentence. In similar fashion, we confess our sins to God 
I can almost imagine him saying, okay, get on with it. I, I know, I know. I've already forgiven you. I love you. I love you. And if you don't believe me, look upon the cross. Yeah, he's certainly not waiting for us. And that's why it's paramount for us as Christians to get the word out. Um, God's not waiting. He's using us to get the word out. First, uh, we hear it, and then we go out and, and, and we give it to others. All right, the final, the final line of the Lord's Prayer here. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you notice in my reading, um, it cuts off. And so some of our earliest manuscripts don't have that additional closing formula. Um, this print's so small, I should have brought a bigger Bible. Um, uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So some of the best earliest manuscripts don't have that. And so um, the ESV at the very least is being careful and saying that may or may not have been Jesus' original words. At some point in time, um, and actually in Luke's gospel, we have a version of the Lord's Prayer. And so a scribe more than likely at one time tried to, to marry those up a little bit. Um, not to say that prayer is not true, but based on textual evidence, we, we're careful about that. But if you read your King James Version, it has that. Again, imagine 1611. Uh, might not have had the best textual tools that we have now. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any controversy in saying that. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, uh, we're recognizing um, that evil is real. Evil is afoot. <laughs> Evil's a part of who I am. Um, and yet, uh, God is in control of the whole cosmos. And so we're, we're asking, we're pleading, Keep us, uh, keep us from evil, deliver us from it. Uh, evil can also be translated, uh, in this case, the evil one. Uh, we talked about that the other day, um, a handful of us um, on Wednesday. But uh, again, evil has, evil has a face. Uh, I'm part of that face, but long before me, uh, Satan, uh, our adversary, uh, like a lion, is, is prowling around ready to devour. And so there's a recognition of that too. So we're praying, we're praying against that. Now, summing all this up, prayer, the posture, the, the practical portion of all this is, our posture before God is, we are needy. We don't come with anything to bring. We are needy. We approach God recognizing that God has everything and we, we are needy. And again, going to communion is sort of an illustration of this. We don't bring anything to the table, right? You come up to the rail or come up to the, uh, uh, the station with empty hands, empty hands, ready to be filled. And so that's a, a practical sort of reminder that God doesn't owe us anything. We don't, we don't have an exchange of goods here. It's not a quid pro quo. Uh, God, out of his goodness, gives. He gives. He's a giver. And moreover, he gives himself. He gives himself. And when he gives himself, all the benefits are contained therein. Well, any thoughts collectively on the Lord's Prayer or prayer in general, as we've got just a, a few minutes left? Putting a dollar in a machine and you're not getting a Coke, you may want to check your paper calendar because it's 2010. This is true, yeah. <laughs> Are you saying I should use uh, Apple Pay or? Oh, goodness, yeah. Oh, oh, hey, maybe the secret shouldn't be told, but uh, we have a vending machine upstairs. It's only 65 cents for a 12 ounce soda. So um, and every once in a while, when I just need a little bit of bubbles, I, I find somehow uh, the way to pay 65 cents. <laughs> are you saying inflation uh, affects God too? Or you're saying... 
that we, I should pray even harder because of inflation? <laughs> I should go to church just a little more? Yeah, there's a there's sort of a, again this is an ancient kind of pious way of saying that, but uh, oh happy fault like we sinned oh and in our sin the fall of humanity it allowed God not that God needed a stage but it allowed God to show His glory and grace even more so. Um, speaking of funerals, I preached a funeral here recently and I, I gave an illustration of uh, y'all heard of the the art uh, it's Japanese wabi sabi that theory of and it's the idea that, um, so you have a, a, a vase or pot, and it gets shattered, it breaks, it falls. Well, the wabi-sabi kind of philosophy is to put it back together and to use gold in between the cracks. And so once you've put it back together, it's broken, it's totally broken, but it's put back together, and it's even more beautiful now than it was before. In a similar fashion, we sinners, we're broken, but God is putting us back together, even in our sin and our fallenness, and somehow... That's even more beautiful than, than we were before. Um, I know that's sort of working from the ground up, theologically speaking, and not from the top down. Uh, but I do think there's truth in that. God knew that we would sin. God knew that we would fall. And yet he still created us. So I think the end result he knew would be uh, forgiven and redeemed and restored broken sinners. Yeah, yeah. Not as a, the hope that will be a finished product, but even even as broken shards on the floor, He loves us. He loves us. Not because we'll one day be a product useful to Him, but at every state, He loves us. That's that's a good that's a good reminder, good distinction there. Well, friends, I have a moment. Um, I have a feeling the bell's about to go off. Let's close in prayer, and uh, this is certainly not the last word on the Lord's prayer. I know some of this might have been redundant, but I hope. I hope it was helpful um, this morning. Well, let's close and I'll be on my way. God, we give you thanks for this holy formula uh, of prayer. You teach us about our relationship with you as we've been grafted in through Christ and his work. That we approach you and that you love us and you seek not to punish us or condemn us uh, or to leave us, uh, but Lord, to, to meet our every need. May we be mindful not only of our needs, Lord, but of the needs of our neighbor um, and that you would Fill our hearts with such love and grace and gratitude that it would overflow into our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.